The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run down. Will be broken by Chris Jericho. Yeah, the remedy for boredom has arrived. Let's go for a ride. Oh, my time has come. Here now it's going to People don't feel the rhythm Baby, don't you understand? People, don't you fear the creeper? Come on, baby, take my hand La, 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 la It's going to ding dong ding dong ding dong ding dong La, 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 la La, la, <laughs> woo! Welcome to Talk is Jericho. What an amazing week it has been already, and it's only Wednesday. Got a great interview with Vinnie Paul, my brother, my big brother, coming up. Excellent guy. So many very cool, cool stories. New album from Hell Yeah, Blood for Blood, out now. Sangre por Sangre is the first single. It's killing it. Pretty kick-ass record. And for once, Vinnie Paul did not produce it. Kevin Churko, fellow Canadian, fellow Prairie man here on uh, uh, Canada Day, right in between Canada Day and Independence Day. Uh, summer. Lots of stuff going on with Hell Yeah this summer. Their tour starts July 17th at Rock USA in Wisconsin. What a lineup. Five-finger death punch. Volbeat, Nothing More, and Hell Yeah. Wow, that's one of the biggest tours of the summer. All going out together this summer. Madness starts September 16th in Salt Lake City. Vinnie Paul coming up, sharing loads of Hell Yeah, Pantera, Dimebag Daryl stories. Always candid, always cool. Uh, and speaking of, of, of summertime, new Fozzie record. 
coming out July 22nd of this year. Do You Want to Start a War is the name of the record. Lights Go Out is the name of the first single. Burning Up the Charts, Top 40 on Rock Radio and Climbing with a Bullet. I'm going to play it for you right now. Crank it up. New Fozzy. Lights Go Out right here on Talk is Jericho. like it if you did hit me up on the twitter at talk is jericho or at fozzy rock let me know what you think of lights go out if you pre-order the new fozzy record do you want to start a war take a screenshot of it post it at fozzy rock and we will follow you and everybody wins right also huge gig july 24th at the whiskey a go-go 
Hollywood, California, the famous Whiskey A Go-Go, The Doors, Motley Crue, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, Alice Cooper, Guns N' Roses, so many amazing bands playing there over the years. We played there in 2010. We're going back, super excited. Get tickets. Come hang out with us. It's going to be an amazing, amazing show. The kickoff to the Do You Want to Start a War album release and the tour, which will not uh, start in general until probably September, October, because uh, we had some time off. And as you know, Fozzie's the priority, but whenever I have time off and things work out and the scheduling works out and the ideas work out, well, I come back to the WWE. And that's exactly what I did last Monday on Raw. Huge surprise. It was very cool. Uh, fooled ya. Fooled ya. Fooled ya. Hi, fooled ya. Um... I told you guys before, I was, I'd was i been talking to the WWE for a while. We get texts from them and emails and phone calls from time to time asking, you know, when can you come back? And I would say, well, you know, I have some time here. I have some time there. What do you got for me? Well, when can you come back? Well, what do you got for me? And I wanted to have uh, some kind of a mission, some kind of a purpose. I didn't want to come back just to come back. And I had been talking earlier in the year, late last year, about coming back to the WWE for WrestleMania to work with Daniel Bryan. Um, obviously that didn't work out because Daniel had much bigger things, uh, already planned as far as winning the damn world title. Although I don't know if that was the exact plan right off the start, but I just wanted to have some kind of a, of a focus. The other idea I had was Bray Wyatt. He was with John Cena. So didn't work out. No problem. Went off, did many other things, started this podcast, uh, recorded the new Fozzie record, finished up writing my book. All those things still happening. This podcast will not uh, discontinue. It still will be twice a week, every Wednesday and Friday here uh, on PodcastOne.com. We'll still have the same mix of guests that I've always had. So if you enjoyed it before, stick with me. The new Fozzie record coming out. There will be a tour. We will be hitting Europe and the UK and the States and all the wonderful countries worldwide. New uh, Jericho book. October 14th, the best in the world at what I have no idea, still coming out. So anyways, I guess about a month ago I got a call uh, saying that one of the writers in the WWE wanted to speak to me and asked if I would want to speak with them. And I said, of course, I'm always open to speaking with them. And originally we were going to tour Uproar this summer. Didn't work out, didn't get on that tour. So basically, with the exception of a few shows here and there, and you know when the new record comes out and the press and the whiskey show, and we have a show in Syracuse and a show uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, et cetera, et cetera, uh, pretty much free. So I uh, spoke with them, and they mentioned Bray Wyatt, and I said, that sounds amazing. I'd love to do some work with Bray Wyatt. But um, three weeks went by, and, and nothing really came up. I, I pulled together some dates that I could do. They uh, checked out, you know, whether or not those dates would work with them. Everything was cool because, you know, when I come back, it's not just for TVs. I try and do as many shows as possible. I had a couple of things I was committed to, so I couldn't come back completely full time. But still, um, more than regular, definitely 10, 10, 12 shows a month, including live events, including international tours, the ones that I could make. Australia, I will be there. So, um Finally pulled together the dates and then got a call on Friday saying, okay, let's get this started. So the funny thing was that uh, I have two light-up jackets. I actually had three. One of them was exclusively for Fozzie. If you were at Carolina Rebellion, you saw me wear that. Slowly started dying. I had to send it back to get reworked. Uh, the second jacket with all the lights, the the red ones, that one just completely died. So I had to send that back. If you follow me on Tweet Secret, you saw me sending that back in a box where its fate is still unknown. I don't know if it's going to work ever again. Hopefully it does. 
And then I had the blue jacket, which had a lot of lights out because these these jackets are prototypes. So it's the first time they were ever made. So the ja- the, the wiring was very flimsy because you know they didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. So the wires snapped very easily. So I had to get that completely repaired. I, I gave it to a friend of mine who's an electrician in in Tampa, and he took it home and, and rewired it and reworked it and, and fixed it. So I had the blue jacket ready because on Friday is when I got the final call to come. So Monday morning, the show Raw was in Hartford. We wanted to keep it a secret, so I flew into Boston and rented a car in Boston and drove to Hartford. I arrived in Hartford at about 5.30 uh, in the afternoon. There was a bunch of fans waiting outside the arena, right outside the parking lot, so I had to wait until they, until they left. Then drove straight downstairs, parked the car, was met by uh, head of talent relations, Mark Carano, and escorted into the production bus, the crew bus, where all of the guys who set up the, the show sleep and tour in. Sat in that bus for like four hours, five hours even, or four hours. And in the meantime, met up with Dean Malenko, who explained to me uh, the ideas of what we were going to do. I had some input, went back to Vince. He approved it. Then I met with the Wyatts. Then I met with Miz. Then I met with Michael Hayes and all these other people. And then finally, uh, it was my turn to go to Gorilla. And this is the third time I've, I've been hidden. And it's always cool when you walk through uh, the arena and see people that had, no, that had no idea you were there. I remember the first person I saw was Arn Anderson. And he's like, hey, what are you doing here? I saw Kofi Kingston. He's like, damn, man, I didn't know. So I uh, walked to Gorilla Position to see Vince. Give him a big hug. I haven't seen Vince in a year. A big hug to Triple H and to Stephanie. Um, and the whole, the whole deal was done with me and Triple H on Friday in about five minutes. Uh, he's kind of in charge of doing the deals now before it was Vince or Jim Ross or John Laurinaitis. Now it's uh, Triple H. And then uh, went to the ring for my big triumphant return, which was great. It reminded me of the, the double swerve in American Werewolf in London when the guy's sleeping and then he thinks that the Nazi soldiers are coming to kill him. He wakes up and then the, the, the werewolf's in bed next to him or whatever. So it's like he, he wakes up again. He has two nightmares. And that's kind of what happened. Two swerves. Miz came out as the returning champion. Then Jericho came out as the big swerve. And then the Wyatts came out as the big swerve again. And, and now suddenly we're off to the races and have some cool stuff coming up. Um, but just a really cool experience. It's always fun to come back to the WWE. Always cool to hear the Y2J chants. Uh, fooled a lot of people. There was kind of a rumor earlier in the day that um, uh, that I was there, that I was backstage. So I posted a picture of my daughters dressed up as rock and rollers and said, just playing rock concert with my daughters, which I did play you know, a couple weeks ago but i had that picture on my phone i just posted it as if i was playing it now so i swerved you back some of you believed it i'm sure some of you wanted to believe i was there but weren't sure and when i came out the reaction was was amazing it's it's always uh the, the, the surprises are, are so cool reminds me when i was a kid you know nowadays people know everything and, and things get leaked uh and then i made my big surprise return i didn't even realize i obviously miz made his return i didn't realize that aj lee was making a surprise return as well so it was a pretty eventful raw very exciting and lots of cool stuff coming up. And I'll tell you more about uh, what happened after my big appearance um, later on in the show. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the big return. Y2J is back and uh, ready to rock. Uh, Fozzie back, ready to rock. So many cool things going on. So as always, check out Talk is Jericho right here twice a week to hear all of the amazing things. And we got the amazing Vinnie Paul coming up. In just a few minutes, such a cool interview. Stick around. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. All right, I'm in the back of the famous Vinnie Paul bus, which you have to see. And this is actually your bus, right? I own this. I'm not a fan of renting things. I think it's wasted money. I'd rather buy things and own things. So, uh, yes, this is my tour bus. I love being a part of this. And it's awesome to be able to leave your stuff on here and not have to worry about getting it off and taking it home when you're done, man. And where do you park it when you're not using it? Oh, it's right there in Texas, baby. <laughs> it's like that, in your front in your front yard? No, no, no. I don't really have enough room there. <laughs> but uh, if I disclose the location, it would probably get vandalized. So it's somewhere in Texas. <laughs> well, I mean, I know uh, you, have, you, you still have the limo, too? Oh, I got the limo, man. I drove it to uh, Vegas because uh, my friend... Uh, Danny, the count, who has counting cars, mm-hmm. wants to re- revamp it and, and put it on a show. So I had it driven to Las Vegas, and uh, we'll see if it ends up on an episode of Counting Cars. Well, and and the, and the thing is, like, people you guys can't hate, see it, but it's all tricked out. You got like flashing lights, and there's disco balls, and well, it's, the, it's like the, a club. Everything I have is a club. My house, my bus. Uh, my limo, every everything has to do with the nightlife because uh-huh. I'm all about the nightlife and I really enjoy it. And uh, if you don't have a picture of Little Richard, you can't have a good time. And I got a picture of Little <laughs> Richard just about everywhere I go, man. It always boils back down to Little Richard, right? Little Richard, man. And you think Prince stole his look from somebody? <laughs> yeah, hello. You think Paul McCartney <laughs> stole his singing style from somebody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. all goes there. It's funny. A couple of years ago, I did a, a show. It was a singing show, and it didn't go very well for me. It was like a contest thing, but I got to jam with Little Richard. He was like wow. one of the judges sort of thing. Very cool. And uh, he's like an um, Orthodox Jew, okay. so he has to be home before sundown. Wow. So he was always leaving. Like He'd leave halfway through the show, and you'd do half the show, and he'd be there. Then he'd just be gone. But the one day he sat down at a piano and started playing a tune. He's like, come over here and sing with me. He just sang a little blues thing. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm jamming with Little Richard. It was, wow. it was pretty cool, man. I think you had a crush that, on me. That is awesome. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, I've had uh, many people that I've wanted to go see. And my dad was a, a huge music fan and, uh-huh. and a musician. And I got to go see Paul McCartney and a lot of great people with him. And one, I told him I would love to go see Little Richard. And so if he ever does another performance somewhere... Uh, me and my dad are going to be flying out to wow. go see Little Richard. Anywhere, right? I, I don't care where it is. Because he doesn't play. I don't no, think he, he does much anymore, he doesn't play much, much anymore, right? and when he does, it's usually casinos, and I love casinos. <laughs> so As we know. I'm all good at that. Because <laughs> uh, Chuck Berry still plays. Yeah, yeah, Once man. in a while he plays You know, in St. Louis. He's got a club. Yep. You know, it's amazing. Like, what are they, 80? You can live as long as you want to live. Yeah. Just hold on to the flame. Like, like. Jeff Tate and Queen Drake said, <laughs> "Take hold of the flame." Take a hold of the flame. You, there you go. Do you notice that? Like when we were kids, I remember looking at pictures of, of my dad. At least my dad was a pro athlete, but by the time he got to be, you know, mid forties, he kind of looked like a nerd. You know, sweatsuits and glasses, and it's not like that anymore. It's like as long as you 
to take care of yourself and try and have a good attitude, age has come, become almost irrelevant. You notice that? In, you know, this is uh, the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. I turned 50 this year. Uh-huh. And uh, it was the best birthday party I ever had in my entire life. It was absolutely incredible. And I still feel like a 19-year-old kid, man. Uh-huh. Everything I do, I approach the same way. You know, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. Uh, I've been married to music my entire life, man. And I've been dedicated to it. And I know what it takes to do it. And ever since my brother's been taken from me, I feel like I have to live for both of us, man. And I, I bring it everywhere I go, everything I do. And I think he's here with us, watching us, and enjoying everything that's going on, man. Well, you know, it, it, it's... it's uh you always hear about dime and everybody's got great stories about it. i've had a lot of guys in the podcast i just had sebastian on uh, last week love told that. this amazing story about how dime was like hold on burke when he was trying to get him to come for breakfast because he was upstairs teaching his kid how to play guitar in, right. uh, in a spongebob square pants you know beanbag chair and everybody like dime is one of those guys that everybody everybody i don't care who you are talks good about him I mean, and that is almost like a, you said it, it's almost like a responsibility to keep that, that, that vibe and that attitude alive. He, 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 the thing that turned him on the most in this world was putting a smile on other people's faces. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter where it was, when it was, how it was, whether it was playing his guitar, whether it was shaking a hand, signing an autograph, giving him a pig, just saying hi, you know. Mm-hmm. That was the most important thing in his life, making other people smile. You know, I remember uh, the last show we ever played together with Damage Plan. We played in Buffalo, New York. And uh, I wanted to, actually, we wanted to go to the casino in Niagara Falls, and he was really smoked. We had two more shows left. We were going to do Man Cow Show in Chicago the next day. And I said, Dime, man, let's go to the casino, man. And he's like, man, Vinny, I'm really, really tired. I want to kill these last two shows. I want to go home and make the next Damage Plan record. I want to kill this. He goes, you go have a good time, man. I'll see you in a little bit. So me and Mayhem, uh, our security guard that got killed that night, uh, went with me. And we went to the casino, and we had a great time. And the bus pulled up about 3 o'clock in the morning to get us. And I came on the bus, and there was a full party going on in the front lounge. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on in here? And I was dime, and there's like 12 people I've never seen in my life. And I said, dime, thought you were smoking. He goes, dude, I couldn't let these people down, man. They wanted to party tonight, man. <laughs> and and that's how my brother was. He he just would not let people down. So that was uh, his spirit will always go on with you, with me, with all of us. And uh, let's just keep rocking, man. That's what did, it's all did about. You, did you have that attitude before, or did you did you did you amp it up after Daryl's passing? I always had that attitude. He always had that attitude. You know that American Express co- commercial. You can't take it with you. Mm-hmm. Was always special, but it never was real until that happened. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was. Me and him used to joke with each other all the time, man. We'd be on a plane. It was like, hey, man, if we're going down, we're going down in a plane crash together. You know, it was always we're going to do this together because we did everything together and we didn't get to do that together. You know, and then and and when I say we didn't get to, I I don't mean to say that it was I understand it was it was really a a hardcore tragic event. And the guy wanted to kill me, too. And uh, somehow or another, I was lucky enough to escape that. And I'm still here. And. 
I will do everything and anything I can to carry on the legacy the and the tradition that my brother always had. Which you have. I mean, yeah, that must have been a, I mean, a, just a, I don't can you even remember that moment of knowing that the guy wanted to it get you It happens to me every night, dude. And really? I don't want to remember it. I yeah. don't want to think about it. I don't want anybody saying, hey, man, you know, it's hard, man. Yeah. It's hard. But uh, I've found peace. Uh, I'm really happy with what I do with this band, and I'm glad that we're moving forward and things are really good, man. Really good. Well, yeah, I mean, hell yeah, is really come come into its own over the last few years, and I'm sure it was almost therapeutic for you to start the band because there was a good was it two I, years. I, did, I band? didn't start it, man. That's that's the crazy thing about well, it. Tell us is, about it. Uh, you know, after eight and a half nine months being in a suicidal state and drinking everything I could in front, in front of me. Um, I woke up one day and I realized that me and my brother had made this record with David Allen Coe, mm-hmm. which is very special. Uh, Rebel Meets Rebel. It was the first true outlaw country artist, the first true heavy metal outlaw art- artist to make it an entire record. Other people had delved in it and done a track or two, but it was the first time anybody had ever really made a record and I knew how important that was to my brother, and I wanted to put this record out. I wanted people to hear this. And when I started searching into the record company business, uh, the label that we were on, Electra Records, I sent it to them, and they said, hey, who do we sell this to? Country people, heavy metal people? We don't know what to do with this. We're just going to pass on this. I said, thank you. I just really? got a great idea. Wow, they yeah. were going to pass on it, even yeah. though it was like the last album Daryl ever played on. They didn't have a clue. Yeah. Man. And bingo, I went, hey, I'm going to start Big Van Records. So I started a record company, and I learned the other side of the business. And we put the record out. We sold about 150,000 copies. It was wow. huge. It did really, really well. And from that point on, I knew that I was still a person that could be part of this industry, this business, and everything. And then my friend Johnny Kelly from Typo Negative called me and said, Hey, uh, I got this band, Seventh Boy, and I want you to produce a record. And he sent me some of the stuff, and I was blown away. And so I engineered and produced the Seventh Boy record, which was, in my opinion, one of the greatest records ever to come out in a long time. It's like. It's called Seventh Void? Seventh Void. It's like Sabbath meets. Soundgarden meets Topo Negative. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Kenny's vocals were incredible. It was Johnny and Kenny from Topo Negative. We put it out, and, um, and you know, it was, it was a hard road to hoe. And then mm-hmm. one day, I get this phone call from Chad and Tom, and they're like, hey, man, uh, we're putting this band together, and we and want they, you to play drums. And they were in Mun- Mudvayne. Together, yeah, right? Mudvayne and and, uh, and Nothing Face. They oh, had, so they kind of joined forces. Well, they 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 were on Tattoo the Earth in 2001. Gotcha. And they had been talking about doing a band outside of their current bands, and this is like 2006, close to it, something like that. And they finally got a window up our opportunity, and they start calling me, and I'm like, Hey guys, you know what? I, I don't know if I'm ready to do this yet, but thanks for thinking of me. And, like, literally for two weeks, they would call me every day. <laughs> and I would just, like, kind of like, yeah, thanks for thinking about me. <laughs> One day, spring cleaning, I don't know what it was. I was cleaning my house, working on my house. I had Kiss on 12. I had a red <laughs> bottle, red wine. We got I've it. been drinking vodka. <laughs> I love vodka. That's what I normally drink. And, That's all we uh, ever drink. 
And uh, you know what? I looked down, and the phone was ringing. I looked at the caller ID, and it was Tom's number again. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> really? And I picked up the phone, and they go, come on, guy. One more, t- one more try. And I said, you know what? I'll never know if I could do this again or not unless I give this a shot, man. And uh, I said, let's do this. And a week later, they all flew to Texas. Next day, we went to Dime's Place where we recorded the Pantera Records, Damage Plan, Rebel Meets Rebel. And our first song we recorded was Nausea, the first, uh, the last song in the record of the first Hell Yeah record. Mm-hmm. And we were all very nauseated. It was bizarre being in there, seeing Dime's notes from the last Damage Plan record and just all the things that were part of my life before he mm-hmm. was taken from me. And uh, it was crazy, man. And I really felt like he was patting me on the back. He was patting all the guys on the back and just saying, come on, you got to do this, you got to do this. And it felt right, man. And so that's how it all happened. Had you played your drums since then? I played one time with uh, Disturbed and Anthrax. They threw a benefit for my brother in Chicago. And when I was done playing, it was it was one of the most painful things I ever did. Mm-hmm. I threw the drumsticks on the ground. I walked off. And I said, "I'm never doing this again, man." Mm-hmm. It hurt. I mean, it was it was hard. But I appreciate those guys for doing that. They were really great. Uh, you know, Charlie, Scott, Frankie, all those guys from Anthrax. Always been great. Always been good friends. And it was it was really emotional, man. Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah, like talk about a, uh, you know, you, you hear the story about Neil Parrott didn't play drums for five years after he had, you know, his wife passed away. And Neil's one of my heroes, and Jesus, I, you know, I, I can feel what he's been through, man. Yeah, I mean, and I know as well, like when Rev passed away in Avenged, and I know when when Paul Gray passed away with Slipknot, that you've given advice to those guys to you know carry on and. You'd have to, right? You got to, man. Yeah. The world never stops, man. The world will always keep spinning, man. And we all have to do our best. And anytime we can help any people that have an addiction or a problem, we we, we got to do that, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I had a crazy story about going to Rev's funeral, man. I drove from Vegas to L.A. Didn't want to fly. I don't like flying. I went to his funeral. I met his... Uh, female school teacher who taught him drums uh-huh. which i was you know i got to grow up with a drum instructor and piano and i, I never realized he was uh such a part of the songwriting process yes. of that band you know and he was always a friend of me i always just looked at him as like this killer drummer right and I taught him how to play blackjack. We had many <laughs> great tequila nights and blackjack at the Hard Rock in Vegas. And uh, anyways, when we, when I was driving back to Vegas, this is the craziest thing that could ever happen. I'm driving back to Vegas, and we're like 70 miles outside of Vegas, getting a little tired, running out of gas. Pull over to a gas station, and Bright Dog, my personal yeah. assistant, is with me. And I pull in, and he goes, hey, man, that's Ace Freely in the gas station. I'm like, no, it's not. Some dude that looks just like him. That's it. I, there's no way Ace Freely is yeah. in somewhere. In, the side of the road in the desert. Yeah. 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 I get out of the car. I go in there. I grab two five-hour energy drinks. I walk up to the cash register. 
And Ace turns around and goes, Vinny, what are you doing here? I'm like, Ace, what the fuck are you doing? Here? We look at each other and he goes, Oh, I just got married to my fiance. We just went to Vegas for a few days. I'm like, Wow, I just went to a funeral. No, hey, man. How crazy is this that yeah. we ran into each other? I mean, what are the chances? I know. What are the chances, you know? <laughs> and it was incredible. And he brought me outside, and I got, I got to meet his new wife. And, uh, you know, me and Ace, all the Kiss guys, we've been friends forever. And it was just it was just insane. I mean, it was one of those things that you would never in a million years exactly. expect to happen, especially after going to a, a very tragic event like right. Rev's funeral. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. We're here with Vinnie Paul, former Pantera drummer. Now with Hell Yeah, your brother had Ace tattooed on his chest. The famous Dimebag tattoo. Uh, my brother and Ace got on great, and Ace... Ace was one of his top three guitar heroes. I mean, it was Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, and Ace. I mean, wow. And, and you know, I tell people the story all the time. I mean, when I started playing drums, my dad got me a drum set, and it's the old Eddie and Alex Van Halen story. Right. I, I wouldn't let Don play the drums. I hogged the drums, man, because <laughs> I was into it. And so he went in his room, and one day my dad brought him home a guitar, a Les Paul, it was a Honer Les Paul, not a real one. It's kind of a knockoff. And a knockoff. And I would walk by his room, and he would have his Ace Freely makeup on and standing in front of the mirror and doing all <laughs> the moves and everything. I'm like, dude, are you ever going to learn how to play that thing, man? Because I'm in my room, and I'm playing Bark at the Moon. Uh, it wasn't Bark at the Moon at the time, but I was playing, uh, you know, I Don't Know. and all On the guitar or on drums? Drums. Okay. All Van Halen, you know, I... And one day he comes in with his little bitty pig nose amp and his guitar, and he goes, "You want to jam?" And I said, "Seriously, dude, you want to jam?" And he goes, "Don't, don't, 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 And we played that riff probably for ten hours over and over and over and over. And I knew from that point, me and my bro, Mister Dimebag Daryl, we're going to play music for the rest of our lives, man. And the famous riff that every guitar player, even me, started with "Smoke on the Water." Some some went on to greatness, and some just couldn't play anything it's more than so that. It's so simple, but it's so great. <laughs> it's man. such a great riff, right? Yep. So so how many how much more older? How many more years older were you than I'm Don? two years older? Now. Okay, so was it weird having like your little brother in, in? Like, did you have to kind of be like, "All right, I'll have my little brother in the band"? You, you know, uh, when we first started out, we we used to have our little brotherly fights this that and the other but the minute we started playing music it was it was it was a common bond man mm -hmm. we knew that's what we wanted to do and we really never had any kind of conflict after that it was just let's do this man let's make music let's kick ass you had a connection like you mentioned like the van halen brothers where i'm sure after years and years you knew exactly what you were doing with him you didn't have to look at each other just feel the that locked in groove you know i mean i'm sure that it was just that it, easy. it was magic man we write music man I, I would go off and do something on drums and 
he would follow me on the guitar. Or he would do something on the guitar, and I immediately, we didn't have to talk to each other. It mm. was just that magic that happens when, you know, you have that connection. Right. You know, it's it's interesting because I always talk about Pantera. Because with Fozzie, we started out in a completely different thing. It was like a cover band, and you know, it was the original name was Fozzie Osborne. That's where it came from. Right. So I always say, like people say, well, you guys started this way. I said, well, we're almost like Pantera in a way, where there's two versions of this band. There was the first version, which was, you know, we were just doing this and it was fine. Then we changed a few things and got serious and became this Fozzie. Kind of the same thing happened with Pantera. When you guys started, it was kind of a different. Uh, a different direction of what you guys were even playing. It was very right. more Priest and Van Halen, and I remember you guys had like makeup and your teased hair and all that mm-hmm. stuff. What was the catalyst to change from that Pantera to the Pantera that pioneered the entire you know movement of the '90s? Well, honestly, I mean, uh, back then we were a cover band when we started in 1983. Mm-hmm. We 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 played nothing but cover tunes. And my dad told us we we're never going to win anywhere until we start writing our own songs. So we started writing our own songs. And then about 1986, 1987, we had a couple independent records out. We started playing our songs mixed in with Van Halen, Judas Priest, Motley Crue, mm-hmm. uh, whoever. And they fit in just as good as those songs. And we were the first club band ever in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma the five-state area that played original songs. And we developed a huge following. And then all of a sudden, we knew we had to make a change. We had to be a band that was different than every other band. All the bands at the time were, like you said, almost glam rock. We we modeled ourselves after Judas Priest. If you look at power metal... Yeah. We wore the leather, we had the spiked hair, we, that that was our thing, you know. And when we started writing the songs for Cowboy from Hell, Cowboys from Hell, uh, we knew it had to be different. And we felt like, you know, we were a combination of the speed metal that was huge, Slayer and all that. Metallica, yeah. And, but we also had the Guns N' Roses vibe, you know, which was cool. And we dropped all that. We just dropped the image and said, let's go. And that's when things changed for us. Well, and you know what, too? You mentioned how um, the style of what was going on. Because even Priest, you know, they did Turbo Lover. And, and there was they, the people were starting to look very glammy. And the sound was getting very homogenized. You guys, you mentioned, you took the power of the Slayer and the Metallica. You mentioned Guns N' Roses. But to me, it was always the groove of classic Van Halen. Absolutely. And that I'm was sorry, I left that out. The, the Van Halen was the biggest influence I could ever say. I mean, if you listen to the deep voice when Phil talks, it's very reminiscent of David Lee Roth. <laughs> yeah, if right. you listen to my brother, it's it's Eddie. I mean, it's mm. the same vibe. Alex Van Halen, huge influence on me. I, I mean, I think Al's the most underrated drummer I ever. I, I I love him, man. I agree. He's so huge. And then Michael Anthony. I mean. Not only was he one of the most kick-ass bass players, but he was the backing voice yeah. that everybody hears that nobody knows. I mm-hmm. mean, he's the guy that made that high vocal so killer when they did the backups on 
Yeah. Everything. Did you uh, did you happen to see the uh, reunion tour, the Van Halen reunion tour? I did. You know, uh, I, I had a great story about this. And now, which Van Halen reunion are we talking about? Uh, you talking about a Sammy or a Dave? I saw Sammy and I saw Dave. Okay, well, I was, I was talking about the Dave one without Michael Anthony. <laughs> but you can tell me a story about whichever one you want. Uh, you know, <laughs> my, my favorite story was... Uh, you know the four bands in this world that me and my brother always dreamed of playing with were Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Van Halen, and Kiss. Okay, uh, we played with Black Sabbath their first reunion tour in '99. Played with Kiss their first reunion tour in '97, '98. Really? Yeah, it was South America. Wow. And our first tour we ever did in Europe was Priest Painkiller. Uh, I will elaborate on the Kiss tour. Uh, we had made the Mouth for War video and this guy named Paul Rackman directed the video and when Kiss put out their record I think it was Psycho Circus? Unholy I think it was Okay uh, Revenge Revenge yeah. when they put out Revenge That's right yeah they, they hired Paul to do their video because they were really impressed with our video and it turned out great and we ended up doing the Kiss reunion tour we played in South America with them <laughs> And it was absolutely incredible. I mean, we went down two shows in Mexico City. Uh, on the way from Mexico to Santiago, Chile, we're on the plane together. And, of course, Kiss has first class. Of course. <laughs> we're in business class right behind them. But about halfway through the flight, it was my birthday, March 11th. And they all came back and sang happy birthday to me in four-part harmony. They gave me the brand new history book, which they had all signed, wow. and then a drum head with all the picks, everything. I, I mean, I, I literally cried. I felt like I was 14 <laughs> years old again. It was unbelievable. So that was, that was very special. And then uh, the, the only band we never got to tour with out of those four that I loved was Van Halen. And uh, we were playing a place called uh, Local Bazooka, which you probably played in yeah, Boston. Was- it's Austin? Boston. Boston. Boston, yeah. Bazooka, that's right. But anyways, uh, I'm out having a dinner the night before we fly out, and my manager from the clubhouse calls me and goes, hey, Eddie Van Halen's at the clubhouse. He wants to meet you. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I've never met Eddie. You know, I didn't know him. You know? So, boom, I get the limo driver. Let's go back to the clubhouse. I walk in the door. There he is sitting at my table by himself. Gives me a big hug. We start talking. Five minutes into the conversation, he goes, man... You know, we don't really know each other, but I feel like I've known you a lifetime. I was like, Eddie, we <laughs> we have so much in common. Let's talk for a minute, you know. And I said, let me put you on the phone with my brother. So I called my brother. He was in Phoenix, Arizona, working on his uh, crank amp deal. I said, Don, you're never going to believe who's on the phone, Eddie Van Halen. I handed him the phone, and they talked to each other for about an hour and a half on the phone. Wow. It was unbelievable. So the next day, we had to fly to a local bazooka. They played in Dallas. We missed them. And anyways, he flew us from Dallas to Lubbock, Texas. He sent a limo to get us. We came in. <laughs> my Did brother's, they have a show there? Yeah. Okay. My brother's freaking out. He's like, are you kidding me? This really happened? I said, this <laughs> really happened. We walked around on the stage. They're doing sound check. Eddie comes over. That's the famous picture I took of Diamond Eddie. I mean, yeah. It was unbelievable. Hugged each other, and then we were like, hey, we're going to go get something to eat. Eddie's like, no, let me take you down. I want to get you some of this. Took care of us. It, it was one. Of, it was like a dream, dude. It was unbelievable, man. And <laughs> uh, 
I think the last record they made was incredible. A lot of people yes. want to kind of go, oh, it's old riffs. Hey, you know what? There's riffs that never got used, and they turned into a great band, Halen record. Different yeah. kind of truth. Unbelievable. I, I think it's the best record they could have possibly made in the year 2000. It made me feel like I was in 1978 yeah. again. Well, how did you, were you uh, opposed at first when, when Michael was out and Wolfgang was in? Did that bother you? I, I'm, I'm still opposed to that. Yeah. I, Mike's a good friend of mine. I don't know Wolfie. If he really did play bass on the record, which I got a stinking suspicion Eddie did, even with some of the there's, there's like some <laughs> Billy Sheen type stuff going on. Yeah, in there, he's though. he's really good. But <laughs> Michael is Michael needs to be part of Van Halen, man. Mike, well, Mike is a amazing bass player, great singer, and just a really cool dude. Well, man. that's the thing, and that's why I brought it up before. Was you go to the, the, the one of the reunion shows, and I've seen both in 2007 and and 13 or 12, whatever it was, and they still have those Michael Anthony vocals, but Wolfie and Eddie are singing. I never saw Eddie singing ever in the seventies or eighties. He, did. That, he did, did, but did he? So, 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 do you think they're actually singing those parts, or is there some Michael Anthony tracks in there? I don't know. Yeah, I wonder, uh, right? but I will say Eddie was part of the two-part harmony on all that stuff back in okay. the day. So, yeah, uh, you know, I wasn't standing there looking at him to make sure. And some people I was just having a good time. Yeah, some people are like, Yo, "There's a lot of tracks." I was like, "Dude, I, I was in the front row, drunk as hell, going nuts for Hot for Teacher. I didn't care about anything else. You know what I mean?" And, and that's the thing too is it was Roth and Eddie Van Halen, and it kind of sucked that Michael wasn't there. But after a couple minutes, it's like, "Yeah, Wolfie's his son, whatever." But it's Roth and Eddie. I mean, that's pretty cool. If, if you think about the greatest bands, you think about Plant and Page, mm-hmm. Roth and Eddie. Yes, uh, you know, Mick and Keith. Mick and Keith, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, let's go there. Diamond Phil, yeah, you know, you, 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 they were inseparable. They were a combination that couldn't be beat. You know, yeah. Well, and you, and, and we mentioned about the the ascension of Pantera in the nineties, and you guys. I mean, it's kind of a cliche now, but it's still the absolute truth. You guys flew the flag for heavy metal because if you go in the nineties, all did. of our favorite bands that we just mentioned were not at their best. Priest had fired Halford. Maiden had fired Bruce. Van Halen had Gary Sharon. I mean, every like Aerosmith was MIA. All the greats were gone, and it was just Pan- like Metallica was doing Load. It was just Pantera, man. Well, it was a time when every band on the face of the earth was scared of the word heavy metal. Yeah, and we were heavy metal, man. I mean, we no were we, we were fans of Metallica, Slayer, Priest. Iron Maiden, Motorhead, all these bands that were great, that were considered metal bands. And at that time, heavy metal was deemed the most uncool term in the world. <laughs> a band to me, like Tool, which I think is a very metal band, by listening to their music, deemed themselves alternative. And so many bands just did not want that heavy metal moniker. Yeah. And we carried the flag, man. And you know what? The fans love that. We were the band that carried that torch, carried that flame, and kept it burning. Yeah, I mean, even even Metallica at the time, I remember when there was the double whammy, the triple whammy of cutting the hair, wearing the makeup, and then playing, you know, the real groove. I, I didn't get all that. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people <laughs> did. And that's why I was like, you know what? Those guys can say that they're not metal. That's fine. But, hey, silly me, stupid me, I love heavy metal. Metal is what we do, man. Right. So it's like, I'm going to go listen to Pantera because metal at least they say they love metal. And and like you said, people responded, man. They, 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 they loved it, man. And... We never let them down, man. Mm. I will say that. I never miss a show. We never miss a show. 
good, bad, ugly, didn't matter what. We got up there and did it, man. Was there a time, uh, the rumor, I don't think I've ever asked this before, did Mustaine call Daryl to be Absolutely. in Megadeth? Absolutely. Really? T- tell us about that. Well, uh, you know, uh, our good friend Junior Elfson mm-hmm. uh, became a fan of Pantera uh, way before anybody knew who we were. Mm-hmm. And he would come to Texas. He was, uh, he would, at the time, he was seeing a girl from Texas. <coughs> I believe her name was Charlie. <laughs> 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 and he would come and have a great time and uh, get up and jam with us. Man, and you know, we do Megadeth songs, we do Slayer, you know, we do all whatever. And apparently, uh, Megadeth had some problems with their guitar player at the mm-hmm. time. I don't, I don't recall who he it's was. Guy called Jeff Young, I believe. I think his name because that was right before Rust in Peace. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, there were some videos that Junior had taken and took back to Dave Senior, <laughs> <laughs> and Senior liked him a lot. And he called my brother, and he said, uh, we need a guitar player, man, and here's the deal. You don't even need to come audition. We just, we like you, and we want you to come play guitar for us. I'm going to give you a paycheck. I'm going to give you a Nike endorsement. I'm going to take care of you, and you're going to get to play in front of 10,000, 15,000 people a night everywhere you go. Are you in? (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty big deal. (laughs) That's a pretty big deal. And my brother calls me up and says, hey. Here's the deal. And I said, Dime, I, I wouldn't blame you in a minute, man. We've been doing this for seven years. We've been working our ass off. We haven't got there yet. You got to decide what you want to do here, man. And he goes, I'm going to tell him I can't do it unless you're the drummer. And I was like, that's cool. I, I wouldn't mind playing drums in Vegas. <laughs> and he calls Dave up. And this is when Chuck Beeler the drum tech that was the drummer, uh, the drum tech before the drummer mm-hmm. at the time. I can't even remember who that was. Probably Gar Samuelson. Well, Gar was gone. It yeah, was, then Chuck was, was there. And then Nick Menza. Uh, yeah, it was Nick before, Menza. Oh, it was, it was Nick, Nick, Nick Menza. Menza's tech. Anyways, uh, Dime calls, uh, Dave calls Dime, and, and Dime goes, look, man, the only way I'm doing this is if my brother can come play drums for us. That's, that's the deal. And he's like, we already got a drummer. And then the guy, Dime goes, no deal, man. Wow. No deal. And uh, I tell people all the time, there would have never been a Pantera history if my brother hadn't stood his ground and shut that down. And about seven weeks, eight weeks later, we got a record deal wow. with Atlantic Records and changed the face of heavy metal history, <laughs> man. Who was it that found you? Uh, t- was, was it Jason Flom or who was involved? Well, Jason Flom came and saw us and... Uh, for some reason, he went cold on the deal. Um, the true story was is that uh, we had been turned down by every record label on the face of the earth about 28 times. Typical story, right? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and Derek Schulman from... That's who it was. Uh, at the time, he was at Polygram, and he had signed uh, Cinderella and Bon Jovi and just about every big act they ever had and then he moved on to atco records and mark ross his father steve ross owned warner was uh an a&r person for atco and anyways that hurricane hugo in 1989 hit the east coast and they had just signed this band called tangier 
I don't know if anybody's familiar with Tangier, but they had one hit, and they were kind, kind of, of a, like a, the time, like a polished, yeah, yeah, it was, poppy metal it was band. Pop, yeah. It's kind of like Kicks or something. Yeah, like right, that. right, right. Anyways, uh, he was flying to North Carolina, and his plane was diverted to Dallas. And when he got to Dallas, he called Derek Schulman, the president of our label, and said, "Hey, uh, is there any bands in Dallas I should go see?" And he goes, "Yeah, this band Pantera has been calling me." Or sending me stuff for years, and I like their music. Just go see how they are live, you know. So I get this call from this New York Mooley dude, and he's like, "Hey, dude, uh, this is Mark Ross from old Atco Records, and I need to come see." You. And I'm like, "Well, dude, it's not really a big show going on tonight. We're playing a Mexican disco for this girl's birthday. <laughs> That's a true story." And he goes, doesn't matter. I'll come see you at a warehouse, whatever. I just need to come see you. And I was like, all right, here's the address, dude. See you later. So we go there. We set up set up our whole light show and all our stuff that we had back then. And immediately before the show starts, he comes through the door, and he's he kind of looks like Howard Stern. He's his big, mooly, big nose, big, hairy hair. <laughs> And I'm like, this guy is definitely not from Texas. And I go up to him, and he's, hey, dude, are you Mark Cross? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. And I say, hey, I'm Vinny, man. Nice to meet you. And he goes, well, uh, what's what's going to happen here tonight? And I said, you're going to see the next Metallica in a heartbeat, and we're going to blow your ass away, man. And he goes, okay, cool. <laughs> so we get up on stage, and we play. And there's 80 people at this Mexican disco. And about four songs in, he leaves. And I look over Dime, Phil, and Rex, and we're like, hey, he left. Another A&R guy. Let's just start drinking and partying. <laughs> so we start slamming shots of tequila. There's birthday cake getting thrown on the stage. Dime sliding all over the floor. About four songs after that, he comes back. And we're like, he's back, man. Let's get serious. Let's get serious. So we finish the set. As soon as we finish, before I could even walk off the stage, this guy comes up and grabs me and he goes, it's the greatest live band I've ever seen in my entire life. And I said, really? I said, why'd you leave, dude? And he goes, I went out to the car to call Derek Schulman to tell him we're signing you to Atco Records. And I was like, are you kidding me? And he goes, I don't know anything about heavy metal, but I thought that was the greatest live band I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And that's how we got a record deal, man. And it just goes to show whether it's ten or 10,000, man, you got to put on the show of a lifetime every night. It blew him away, man. And, and you know... Uh, Things things went really well after that. Yeah, well, they did. Well, you revolutionized metal and kept it alive. Thanks, man. You know, in the nineties, was it was it frustrating when it kind of all started falling apart? Where you knew, like, we have to move on. You know, we got to start something else. I mean, was it a hard pill to swallow knowing you had to give that up after Pantera? No, like during Pantera oh. when it was starting to be the end of the line for the band. I know you didn't want to break. Well, up. no, no, no. You know, it was it was difficult because. There was uh, no communication there, you know. Nobody yeah. knew what everybody was thinking. It mm -hmm. was just like we'd show up and we'd be on stage and bam. And you never know. Oh, so you never saw each other during the day. You would just see each other yeah, on yeah, stage, yeah. And, and, and we're, I, I guess we're talking like after Great Southern Tranquil. I mean, right. you never knew which Phil was going to show up. I mm -hmm. mean, you'd either get the pit bull that we all loved and – would go out and kill it, or you'd get the dude that was so smacked out he couldn't stand up, fall off the stage, and it was embarrassing. You know, you just didn't know what was going to happen. How hard was that for you as as a professional 
to know. I mean, I, I talked to Duff K- McKagan about this, about you know how hard it was to have to wait for Axel, knowing that like, oh, like was it hard as a player to know like? It's very painful, dude. Yeah, very painful, man. I mean, you know when he killed himself in Dallas, and none of us even knew that how, he how was do you mean doing he, it. Would it killed heroin. Oh, he actually died. He died for oh. five minutes, yeah. He'll tell you all about it. He's proud of it. <laughs> uh, Before a show? Or after d- the show. Okay. We all thought uh, it was from heat frustration because it was like 118 degrees. It was our hometown show, Dallas, 18,000 people. And I see people screaming and yelling that something happened to Phil. I go over in his dressing room, and he's laying on the ground, and he's blue. Hmm. It was terrifying. Mm-hmm terrifying and if our drum tech hadn't ran as fast as he did cat and found the paramedics he wouldn't still be here today mm. they, they saved his life man and mm. it was shocking man i mean up till that point you know he had always been a very anti-drug person and none of us would have ever suspected that was going on ever mm-hmm. ever and it was it was it was shocking, man. It was it was heartbreaking too. Well, I mean, after you built up this empire and, like you said, of this band that's playing arenas and one of the biggest bands on the planet, and then it all kind of goes away, and then you got to start from scratch. You and Dime start di- Damage Plan. Was it hard to get back in the? I'm sure it wasn't in a van, but was it hard to get back in the bus and start playing? You know, the the clubs again. We looked at it as a challenge, mm-hmm. and just like I do with Hell Yeah, right? I look at Same it thing. As a yeah. Challenge, man. I love it. And, you know, I've been to the top of the rock. And I want to get there again, man. Mm-hmm. I feel really good about what we're doing and where we're going. And, you know, me and my brother were put in a very difficult situation, man. Uh, there was no communication. You couldn't figure anything out. And when you put Eddie and Alex Van Halen of heavy metal on the sidelines and you don't want to talk to them, you talk nothing but sh- about the band that we were in, kind of hard just to sit there and be still, you know? Mm-hmm. So. We put damage plan together, and we really felt like it was cool, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. We didn't want to make Pantera Part Two, and I think that's what the fans were disappointed in. They wanted another Pantera. And mm-hmm. There's only one, right? There's only one, man. And and we we did some music that I think when I go back and listen to that record, I think it was ahead of its time, man. There was some cool stuff there, man. And you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to finish that journey, and. Uh, I've been moving on, and that's what I do now, man. Well, but hell yeah. I mean, we talked about you. I mean, you talk about wanting to get back on top of the rock. I mean, the band has just been growing year by year by year. And I'm sure when you first started, there was a lot of people going, you know, are you guys going to play a Pantera song? I'm sure you got that, right? (laughs) We're not a cover band. Yeah, exactly. And and we can stand on our own two feet. We got great songs. I mean, you know, I love Pantera. I love Mudvayne. I love Nothing Face. I love Damage Plan. I love all those bands that have been a part of what Hell Yeah is. But Hell Yeah is its own entity, and I'm really proud well, that we it, can stand our own. It's just funny. Like, God bless the fans. We love our fans, but I get it all the time, too. Like, oh, we love Fozzie, but are you, when are you going to go back to wrestling? Are you going back to wrestling? Right. And it's just, guys, like, this is what's going on. It's good. Just, just check it out. You'll dig it. Trust me. Unfortunately, people love to live in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I feel right. like if you live in the past, you have no future. You have to move forward in your yeah. life. Move forward. Well, let's talk about moving forward. Uh, Blood for Blood is the new Hell Yeah record. 
and you know we've talked about this how you you guys decided like we're going to get this to the next level and you kind of reconfigured the whole way you did things you started working with kevin shirko who's yep. one of the biggest producers of the moment now you were producing the previous hell yeah records yep. So how was it now to kind of give up the reins and go work with Kevin? Honestly, it was awesome. <laughs> was it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, not having to spend 18 hours a day in the studio. You know, when when you're writing the songs and you're part of them, you're so close to them. Sometimes you will accept guitar or vocal performance or even a drum performance that maybe you think you can get more out of, but you're you're not you're not going to push that person to another level and Kevin really pushed us to another level and it was so awesome working with him uh I know he's one of your brothers from Canada that's right from the prairies he's from Moose Jaw up there <laughs> that's his right. whole family came to the show but uh he is he's really the thing I loved about working with Kevin was is he wants to help you make the record you want to make. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to make the record he wants to make. And a lot of producers do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was really great to work with. Well, and, and it must have been cool for you because it's always, when you get an outside guy coming in, it, it kind of ups everybody's game. You know, because I can see, well, you know, I'm going to sing and Vinny's producing. But, you know, if Vinny don't like it, you know, screw Vinny, I don't care. You know, if I'm, if I'm in a bad we mood. We know each other. Right. right. But if it's Kevin, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, me, 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 me. <laughs> suck it up and step yeah. it up to another level, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no. He 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 pulled it out of everybody. I mean, you know, going in, Chad said he wanted to be challenged, and I think Kevin challenged him. You know, he challenged me when I was playing drums. I mean, he would push me, and uh, I'd push him back a little bit. You know, <laughs> not much, but you know, his sonic sounds are incredible, and his knowledge of just structure and songs is incredible man i mean he worked with mutt lang i mean yeah you know it's like his I, disciple i don't know anybody that doesn't like def leppard if you don't like def leppard maybe you ought to re-listen to some of their shits <laughs> that's right yeah, it's pretty good that's right and if you don't like def leppard everyone loves acdc too well there you go see <laughs> that little record called back in black ain't a back bad in black. Uh, yeah um i know that uh you guys had a little bit of a membership change a couple couple yep. guys left how was that for you um i'm not sure with hell yeah if you've had a couple guys leave before but is it hard when guys leave and trying to find the chemistry not just in players but as people you know uh pantera we never had a membership change mm-hmm. uh, damage plan never had a membership change hell yeah never wanted to have a membership change but after we finished the gigantic tour with uh, Megadeth and Black Label, it just really became apparent that we had a couple of guys that weren't focused, that had a lot of personal issues, and we weren't going to be able to make the record that we wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And me and Tom wrote all the music. Obviously, Chad did the lyrics and vocals and all that. And it was... Uh, almost a blessing in disguise you know mm-hmm. it was something that had to happen we had to make that change to move forward and once we did we finished the record kyle has been a bro of ours forever he's toured with us with blood sample monstro and he's always been looking forward to moving into a situation like this and when we called him before we could even say do you want to do it he said i'm the guy <laughs> which was awesome you want to hear that yeah, yeah. and then uh, my buddy Chris Brady, you know, he's played with Frankie Perez and 
everything out in Vegas and L.A., all over the place. And he's awesome guitar mm-hmm. player, great person, great singer. Uh, he was he was a perfect fit, and Tom wanted him. You know, that was the most important thing. You know, Tom wanted somebody that could guitar player, yeah. really compliment what he did on the record. And I think this band has really grown. I think it's just... You know nothing, nothing bad to say about the earlier version of Hell Yeah, but this version is the one that I think is going to go all the way. I love it. You got the right lineup. You got the right material with the new record, Blood for Blood. Just a couple last questions. I have to ask you about this. Another thing that I've heard for years but never talked about. You're a big NHL fan. Yes. Love the Dallas Stars. Obviously. <laughs> Unfortunately, us. we didn't make it. I know. We I'm, were up four to two with two minutes to go, and we got knocked out. Well, I'm, ouch. I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan, so we didn't even make it that far. So talk about ouch. But tell us about the time when the Dallas Stars were uh, very successful and won the Stanley Cup. King of the Hill. King uh, of the Hill. Yeah, and, and they had a par- you had a party at your house with the Stanley Cup there. Well, it man. all started with the uh, <laughs> right the night before the first playoff game with Edmonton. Back then, it was like the Stars in Edmonton in the first round for like three years in a row. And I'm out playing golf with Craig Ludwig, my best friend in the world from the Dallas from Stars, world, number yeah. three. Uh, one of the best defensemen ever. Yes. Uh, Brett Hull, I'm playing with Guy Carboneau. I'm playing with uh, Jamie Lingenbrunner. I mean, the, 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 all the guys. The boys, yeah. All the guys that were the tops. And about the 14th hole, Luds goes, hey, man, uh, why don't you write a new song for us, you know? He's like, you know, something we come out to. Because they always skated out to this Joe Satriani song that had this big snare drum roll in front of it. And I was like, gee, thanks. Uh, first game of the playoffs is tomorrow night. And he goes, yeah, just call Dom up and see what's up, man. See if you guys can put something together. So we finished playing golf about 7 o'clock. <laughs> I hit Dom up, and this chick answers the phone. She goes, ah, he's asleep. He's hungover. He hadn't done anything all day. And I said, look. When he wakes up, tell him to call me. We got something we got to do. And he calls me about 1030. <laughs> He's like, what's up, dude? I said, we got we to gotta make a song. I got it in my head. I know that one riff you played me, that down, da 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 And I got this idea, Dallas Stars. I said, we got to lay this down, dude. The team needs it. They want to do it. He goes, all right, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> so I show up. Sterling, our engineer, shows up. And Grady, Dion's guitar tech. And Crusher, our security guy yeah. at the time, you know Crusher. Know Crush, yeah. So it was, there was four of us there. And we laid the track down in five minutes, loved it, told him the whole idea. And then myself, Don, Grady, and Crusher said Dallas Stars probably 150 times that <laughs> night. They just recorded it. We sing it high, we sing it low, <laughs> Dallas Stars. And so it sounded like an audience. About four in the morning, we got done with it. I took it over to Ludz's house, which he lived about 25 miles from me. Put it in the mailbox, sent him a text message that said, Hey, songs in your mailbox. If you like it, play it. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Next night, I show up at the arena at 7 o'clock. I come in. I'm ready to fucking party. Stars and Edmonton Oilers. Here we go. First round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I hear, Doo to Dallas, Doo to Stars, Doo to Dallas. And I'm like, I never got goosebumps like that in my entire life. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, that song uh, propelled them to winning the Stanley Cup. 1999 I appropriately named the song Puck Off so if you look for it on BMI 
It's called Puck Off. I never made a penny from it. I gave it to them for gratis, and they still play it after every goal they score. Wow. So it's amazing. But you had a party for the team with the Stanley Cup. Oh, when they won the Cup. You know, they called me from Buffalo. We won the Cup. And so they came back, came to my house. Everybody from the team was there except two people. I know exactly who they were. Sergey Zuboff and Pat Verbeek. They were the only two people that did not come to my house. The rest of the team was there. The Stanley Cup got table dances. I had every girl from the clubhouse there. <laughs> Your strip we club drank clubhouse. cases and cases of Crown Roll out of it. And at about 6 o'clock in the morning, Guy Carboneau comes stumbling out on my balcony, and he goes, Hey, Luddy, catch the cup. And he throws a cup, and it missed the pool by about 6 inches, <laughs> hit the side of my pool, and then bounced in. And me... Darian Hatcher, Craig Ludwig jumped on it and sunk it. It floats pretty good because it has a big plastic bottom on it. <laughs> and the guy from Montreal was like, you cannot do that. That is the Stanley Cup. And we are like, hell yeah, bitch. We're from Texas. We just did it. Get over it. So that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about the cup cop, the guy who wears the Oh, white yeah. Clothes? There you was two of them. two of them, man. Dar- Darren McCarty's done the show before, and he <laughs> told me it takes 17 and a half beers to fill the Stanley Cup. He it had does. it down to a science. It only takes... Four bottles of Crown to fill it, so something like that. <laughs> a big one's gallons. So the cup ended up at the bottom of Vinny Paul's at pool. the bottom. Hell hey, yeah! What's uh, what's your favorite song off the new uh, the new record? I mean, it's well, hard to choose just one. I mean, you know, it's like having ten kids, yeah. and you don't want to show any favoritism to them. But uh, I think when people hear "Moth to a Flame," they're going to be blown away. Uh, uh, and that's fast, right? No, Moth, Moth is uh, one of the mellow ones. Okay, the fast gotcha. ones say when. That's the one. I knew and, there was one that's just super and, fast. And that has some pretty, pretty stellar drumming, and I put some shit over the level, over the top, that I hadn't done since Far Beyond Driven, so I feel really good about that, too. What's your favorite Pantera tune, if you've listened to one? Well, I mean, if you really want to boil it down to my favorite Pantera tune, Cowboys from Hell is the one that set the tone. That's the one that started it. That is without a doubt what that band was all about. Yeah, yeah. If uh, if there was ever, and I would never say reunion because you could never do it, but if it was a one-off, let's say Donington, Download Festival, main, main headlining band, what, could you ever do one more show with Pantera? I don't think so, man. Yeah. That's just not going to happen, man. I mean, they call it a reunion for a reason. It's reuniting the original members. And without Don being part of it, I don't want to do it, man. I, I don't want to tarnish the legacy. I don't want to tarnish anything he did, anything the band did. It's It was 14 amazing years, and it's time for everybody to move yes. on, man. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you know this story, but uh, you know they had that Zeppelin reunion. All right. The last show uh, for Ahmed Erdogan. Right. And afterwards, everyone was talking, go on the road, go on the road. And, and Jason Bonham told me this. He said, Robert Plant said, Jason, you did a great job. If anybody could ever replace your father it's you but i can't play any led zeppelin shows without john bonham behind me i can't do it i don't want to do it i'm not going to do it it's not going to happen again so it makes sense it makes perfect sense i just like i said i'm never going to disrespect what my brother did yeah and i want his legacy to be larger than life and can to carry on and no disrespect to anybody that wants to see it it's just you know what you messed up 
Yeah. <laughs> Come see Hell Yeah. That's what but I that's do right. now. That's right. You got Hell Yeah, and you're keeping Dime Spirit alive. And Vinny, you're always a great guy, a fun guy to be around. And Hell Yeah's kicking ass, man. I watched you last week. Blood for Blood's the new record. Thanks hell yeah. Me. Hell yeah. Let's go have some drinks, man. Let's do it. Hey, thanks to Vinny Paul for being with us uh, tonight. Thank you for listening. I know you've got hundreds of thousands of podcasts to schwaz from, and I'm so excited that you just decided to schwaz mine. And thanks for using the Amazon link every time you do your online shopping. Really easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page, then click on Talk is Jericho, and you'll see all three of my Amazon links, Amazon Canada, Amazon UK, and everybody's going Amazon. Amazon USA! <laughs> Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. There are no extra fees or hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done, helping me out in the process, and I appreciate all the love you give me. Uh, thank you so much for listening today. I told you I was going to give you a couple more details about my return to Raw. When I came back through the curtain, everybody was uh, very excited. Vince loved the segment that I did with the Wyatts after they attacked me. Triple H loved it. Uh, Wyatts loved it. Very, very excited. Lots of cool stuff coming up this summer. Trust me, those guys are big boys. They work hard. And, um, you know, it's funny, too. When, when you come back, you know, I had to kind of hide all day long. So then as I come out of the, the curtain, then there's, you know, 100 people that I want to see that I haven't talked to in ages and ages and ages, from Dolph Ziggler to, you know, talking to Miz again, to Cena, Kane, um, you know, I saw Rosa Mendez, hadn't seen her in a while, Paige, AJ, Pat Patterson, Paul Heyman, who, by the way, Paul Heyman and AJ is my number one highest rated Talk is Jericho ever. If you haven't heard those two parts, go check them out. Number three highest rated, Drew McIntyre. Drew Galloway, another amazing podcast. Look forward to more amazing podcasts upcoming. Uh, it was fun to, to touch base with Santino and Cesaro. Hadn't seen them since we did our podcast. Both of them uh, very, very cool guys. I uh, got to talk to Adam Rose. I'm a Rosebud. Got to talk to uh, Bo Dallas. I believe in him. Uh, the Utsos, never got to see them, but they're kicking ass. So anyways, very, very cool stuff. I'll tell you more about it on Friday when our guest... The metal god, Rob Halford. How cool is that? The biggest guest in heavy metal I've had so far. I'm super excited. I can't believe I had freaking Rob Halford on the show. And just a perfect gentleman. Awesome as always. We'll be talking to him on Friday. Look forward to seeing you. It's going to be a great summer. Stick around and join me for the ride. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. We'll see you Friday with the metal god, Rob Halford. In the meantime, and in between time, that's it. Another edition of Talk is Jericho. Yeah, boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 